We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Lord God, we ask in this season of Advent when we draw to mind, pay attention to the fact that we are a people who waits, who longs for your coming. We pray that in the midst of our waiting, in the midst of our longing, Lord, that you would teach us to be a people of hope that through the stories of each other, through the words of your scriptures, you would fill us with all hope by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it is the season of Advent. We're wearing purple. We are filled with expectation and longing. And part of what we're doing here at St. Bart's in the season of Advent is interviewing each other and um, sharing our stories so that we can hear what God has been doing in our midst. Um, something that Paul talks about in our reading tonight is that we need each other to build up each other. Um, that we are a people of hope, but we can't be a people of hope on our own. We need each other. Um, so hearing each other's stories is a way that we, we can do that. And tonight, I want to talk to my friend Stephen Smith. Um, so he's going to come up and just talk to us for a little bit. Hey, Stephen. Wave to, wave to the people. Hello. Say Hello. This is Stephen Smith. Um, Stephen's part of our pastor, and we've been getting to know him over the last uh, few months, and I just thought it'd be great to hear from him. So, first question is, how did you end up here at St. Bart's? All right, so... Yikes. I will not touch that part again. Um, So, um, I wound up here. I started going here, uh, I guess, back in April. Palm Sunday was my first Sunday, so I came right in, and y'all were marching around with palm leaves, and that was interesting. Coming from a Baptist background, we don't really do that. So, um, I was at another church, and um, part of my story is um, drug addiction for quite a few years in my 20s, and um, this church I was at was the first church I went to after I got sober, and so it was a very safe place for me, but it was also very small, kind of dying out, and we wound up merging with another church, and I was on a committee that kind of facilitated this, and it was what needed to happen. 
but I didn't realize it was what needed to happen, but my place wasn't there. And that kind of became clear. So um, it was clear probably after the first month, but I spent another year and three months there just hoping that it would, something would click. Well, last December, I um, went to a ha happy hour for Camp Gladiator. Um, that's where I used to work out. And Dottie was there, and she was telling me about this church um, over off at Easton. And um, it, I was like, oh, that's like really close to my house. And I love architecture. It's mid-century. I've always wanted to go in. Anyway, um, so I knew exactly the church she was talking about. And um, stayed at my church another three months kind of gave myself a drop-dead date, and um, that's when I came here. Great. So that's how I wound up here. Yeah, I think a lot of people are here because of Dottie. So <laughs> thank you, Dottie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as you've been here at St. Bart's, what are some of the things that maybe you've been learning or that maybe God has been doing in sure. your life? So um, I made some notes. Sorry, I get really bad anxiety when I, well, all the time. Um, but uh, I also can't resist a crowd, so I couldn't say no. Um, so I think the biggest theme for this year for me has been uncertainty. Um, and it was this uncertainty of leaving my church, um, my old church. This is my new church. This is my church now. Um, this uncertainty of um, leaving. And that was just this big unknown um, So part of part of my story, um, there, you know, we've all got struggles. Um, one thing that led to drug addiction was struggles with sexuality, and I'm happy to talk about that if anybody wants to talk about that. But so that so leaving my old church was very uncertain. It was a place I was very safe, and I was I was so nervous. Um, and the, just the fact that God provided this place um, is, is, is incredible to me. And it was the first church I visited. Um, and it needed to be small and it needed to be people my age. And because I needed that, because that was one reason I left the old church anyway. It's no offense to people not my age. I just needed community with people my age. All that to say, um, the fact God provided this place and it was seven blocks from my house is just like... If you don't believe in God off of that alone, it's just incredible. Um, so there was this theme of uncertainty, right? Um, my job, which I got after I got sober. Um, and I, I, I went from the call center into marketing and it was just a crazy jump and like God has just been there every step of the way. So the point of the uncertainty there is that um, there's been these projects I've worked on and they kind of tanked. And then my company got acquired and so there's all this uncertainty, and through this, um, it's just kind of been like, God, where are you, right? Mm -hmm. And I've learned um, to raise that Ebenezer, right? Jay has talked about that a couple of times, and that's been, that's been huge because I, I raised that, that Ebenezer. God, you have provided in the past. You got me out of homelessness, you got me out of addiction, you got me out of all of these things, and you've provided, you provided this job, you'll provide another one if something doesn't happen with my company. Mm -hmm. um, and really learning to, I've also learned to pray the Psalms and just really agree with the words mm -hmm. and like 
there's something so comforting about not coming up with the words to your own prayer and like you're agreeing and you're like, yes, this guy gets it. He gets where I'm at and I don't have to think the words like they're just there. Um, And as I have been praying the Psalms and going through these elements of uncertainty, you you just manage to work it out. Mm. And you manage to get there, not all the way there because not everything goes away and not everything is always certain. You don't always get to that point of finality, right? Um, but those have been yeah. things I've learned. So if you could sum it up from the word in a phrase, um, kind of what God's done for you to St. Bart's or what St. Bart's is to you, what, what would that be? Um, this, this is a, a desire fulfilled. Um, it's God listens to prayers. I wanted a small church. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted people my age and it had to be a place where I was going to be nurtured and loved and affirmed and uplifted within the bounds of of scripture Mm -hmm. and what God says and I think so far I found that great thank you you stand right there I'm gonna pray for you everybody thank Stephen for for sharing with us and thank you Father God, I thank you for Stephen. I thank you for his uh, vulnerability, for his willingness to share his story with us. And we thank you, Lord, that you've brought him here. Um, We pray that you would be with him, continue to sustain him in the midst of uncertainty um, with his job and and other things, Lord. We pray um, that we could be a community of hope that builds him up, that encourages him, um, that loves him where he is. And we ask this in the name of your son. Amen. Thanks. Thank you, Stephen. That was wonderful. It's, it is a powerful thing to hear other people's stories and to hear the part of the stories that are unfinished, that our stories have jagged edges, right? We're still trying to figure it out that God's doing one thing over here, but then there's this other thing over here that still needs to be worked out. And that's really what I want to talk to us about tonight in, out of um, the book of Romans because Paul is speaking to that reality. He's talking about hope. Um, And hope is not a static reality. It ebbs and flows in our own lives and even in in the lives of communities and things like that. Um, And one of the things that Paul says is we build each other up in hope, that we do things together, that we do things in community. Um, How many of you have seen those documentaries about people who do free solo climbing? One of those guys just died recently um, it's really sad, and it's like a super intense sport. And sometimes I think we imagine the Christian life is like free soloing. We're climbing a rock face, and we have no help and no harness, and if we fall, it's all over. But that's not the Christian life, because we're not doing it alone. We're doing it in community with each other, and that's one reason that we can have hope. Look at verse 4 of Romans chapter 15. Paul says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We need endurance, we need encouragement to be built up in hope. So one of the things that God gives us for that is each other, and another thing that God gives us to build us up so that we might endure in hope is his word, the scriptures. And Paul goes on to talk a lot about the scriptures. It might be subtle, it doesn't necessarily jump out at you in the page, but this is a 
set of verses that is shot through with quotations from the Old Testament that what Paul is doing here is modeling for us what he commends. So he commends for us to be people of Scripture so that we can look back and read what God has done in order to be built up. Stephen mentioned that with the Ebenezer, right? An Ebenezer is a monument that we raise that we can look back and say, this was a moment when God acted. This was a moment when God spoke. This was a moment when God was present. And maybe I'm lost right now, maybe I'm discouraged right now, but I can look back on that and know that God was at work, that he was in the midst of things. And Paul is saying, in effect, that scripture itself is an Ebenezer, that the story of the people of God is, is meant to provide that sort of encouragement for us. It's meant to build us up. Look at verse eight, what he says. He says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to the Jewish people, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. That is a super dense, compact statement of everything Paul has been trying to say in the letter to the Romans and everything that the gospel is about. That God made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob that the seed their seed would be a blessing to all nations. That is Christ, the blessing to all nations, the Gentiles. So when we wrap our head around what Paul is saying here, he's condensed the whole story of scripture into two verses. God made promises and he kept them. And we know that he kept them because he has sent his son. And to prove it, he then quotes a bunch of scripture. So if you look here, It says, as it is written, therefore I praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. That's from Psalm 18. Again, it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. That's from Deuteronomy chapter 32. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and him will the Gentiles, what? Hope. That's from Isaiah chapter 11. He quotes the Psalms, he quotes Deuteronomy, which is the law. He quotes Isaiah, which is the prophets. Those are the three major sections of Hebrew scripture. Law, prophets, writings. So Paul is saying you can look for the whole sweep, the whole testimony of the story of the people of God and it tells this one story and when you understand that story, you can be built up in hope. You can be built up in hope and he has this crescendo here. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you may, by the power of the Holy Spirit, abound in hope. Not just a little bit of hope, but abounding in hope. So Paul models for us something. He shows us how we can look at the scriptures through the lens of Christ to go back into the story of the people of God and to be encouraged by that. By reading the scriptures, we can put ourselves back into the story. And what I wanna do tonight is Try to do that. Try to do what Paul is doing by reading Isaiah 11 together, our Old Testament reading, and to look for what promises are there, what images of hope can be provided to us through the Old Testament passages that we have. As I said before, verse 13 of Romans 15 is a direct quote from our passage tonight. When he says, may the God of hope, or again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. That's from Isaiah 11. That was our first reading tonight. And one of the reasons that I want to step back into the Old Testament is that it helps us get into an Advent frame of mind. Because in Advent, we're doing two things at once. We're remembering what it was like to be on the front side 
of Jesus, on the front side of the incarnation, on the front side of the cross, on the front side of resurrection, when none of that has happened yet and you're just hoping that God would come and that he would restore his people, that's what it was like for the people of Israel. They had these images, they had these pictures, but they couldn't put it all together yet. And when we step into that space, it helps us remember the space that we live in here, which is we're waiting for him to come again. Yeah, we know about the incarnation. We know about his death, burial, and resurrection. We know about the ascension. And yet, the story isn't over yet. The story has its own jagged edges, which means we have to have hope. Because if we had the fullness of the thing already, hope would be meaningless, right? Hope, if you have the thing you hope for, you don't have hope anymore because you have the thing that you longed for, which is why Paul says that when the age to come comes, faith and hope disappear, but love remains, right? We don't need faith and hope anymore once we see him, but we will need love. So we are like the people of Israel, Israel had snapshots, but not the full picture, right? We can look back and we can put the pieces together like Paul does. Like, we'll see what he said in Deuteronomy and see what he said in Psalms. It all points to Jesus. But we only know that because we have a picture of Jesus that we can then go back and look at the Old Testament with. It's, imagine that you had a huge puzzle, but you didn't have the box, right? You've got 1,200 pieces, but you don't have the box, So you can put the pieces together and maybe it starts to sketch out a little bit, but you don't know what it's supposed to look like. But when you have the picture of the box, you can build the puzzle. And we have that benefit when we go to the Old Testament. We have the box. We can put the pieces together. But we're waiting for this other thing to happen and we don't have the full picture of it yet. We were talking about this in our pastorate this week. We're talking about heaven and what we're hoping in, and how it's really hard to talk about heaven. We don't really know what it's gonna be like. We have ways that we can talk about it that sort of point into a fog, but it's not the full picture of the thing. We have the puzzle pieces. So what I'm saying to you is that when we step back in Israel's shoes, it helps us remember what we're longing for, that there is something to come, that we are hoping in something that will come to pass, we just have a deposit of it. That's what Paul says in Ephesians about the Holy Spirit. We have been given the Holy Spirit as a deposit of an inheritance. Just a little piece of the inheritance, not the fullness of it, but that little piece pulls us forward in endurance and in encouragement. Let me say it a different way. Faith, hope, and love, the Christian tradition has called those the theological virtues. Not meaning that you have to know a lot of theology to understand faith, hope, and love, but meaning that they come from God. They are godly virtues. The logic of them comes from God. Or as one catechism puts it, faith, hope, and love are pledges of the presence and action of the Holy Spirit in the faculties of the human. When we exercise faith, hope, and love, it's a demonstration that we have that deposit of the Holy Spirit in us. Hope is a theological virtue, but hope is not static. Again, we need encouragement. We need endurance. Think about a mother in labor. She needs encouragement, right? She needs help 
to endure. She needs words of encouragement in order to continue in the travail to bring forth the child that is hoped for. Think about someone running a marathon. Right? They need water and gel packs and encouragement along the way if they're gonna finish that race. And if there is no finish line, then why run the race? That's what hope is. It's the promise that there is a finish line and that there is something on the other side of it. But to get there, we need encouragement and the scriptures are given to us for our encouragement. So with that insanely long preface, and thank you for enduring with me, we'll look at Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah is the prophet of Advent. He's the, he's the guy that shows up again and again and again in our Advent readings. And one of the reasons for that is because he, there's a whole storehouse of images and metaphors and pictures that Isaiah gets a, gives us that point forward to the future. And what's so fascinating about Isaiah 11 is that when we read it, we realize some of it has already happened and some of it hasn't. Some of it has been fulfilled and some of it hasn't yet. So it is the perfect Advent text because it points to that previous longing of Israel, but it also situates us in our longing for the restoration of all things, when the bear and the cow graze together and those wonderful images that Isaiah closes the passage with. So I wanna look at a few images of hope that Isaiah gives us in Isaiah chapter 11. And the first one is in the first verse. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Jesse being the father of David. David being the one who was promised to have a son rule and reign on his throne forever. And yet this is a moment in Israel's history where that looks like an absolute possibility, impossibility. How could that ever happen? How could God ever fulfill that promise? Because the house of David has fallen and gone into exile. But Isaiah says, no, there is hope. Because though that tree has been cut down, there's a shoot coming out of the stump. I was walking in the neighborhood this week with my dog and I saw this huge stump. It probably had a six foot radius, right? That was a big tree. <laughs> I can't even imagine how tall that tree was, how much shade it provided in the summer. It was probably a gorgeous tree, but all that's left is the stump. A stump is a testimony to what was. There's nothing now about a stump. Right? It's all about something that happened in the past. But if a, if a shoot, if a flower, if something comes out of that stump, oh, there, there's hope. Something can, something can happen. So out of the stump of Jesse comes this shoot. The promised Messiah, the promised anointed one, Jesus, the true son of David. A branch from his roots will not just be there, but it will be fruitful it will bear much fruit. That image of fruitfulness is connected to this idea that Israel was God's vineyard and it was meant to bear forth this fruit, to be a blessing to the nations. And Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah 6, that the vineyard has been completely routed. There's no fruit coming out of that vineyard. But there is hope of fruit in this stump of Jesse. Not that just something's happening with the stump, but that it will bear fruit. 
So there's our first image of hope, that even out of a stump, a shoot can come forth. Out of this thing that seems completely in the past, a promise of the future can come forward. Look at verses two and three. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Who? This promised one, this one who is the shoot from the stump of Jesse. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. This is an image of hope that shows us that knowledge and wisdom can be married to power. That's what we want in a leader. We, we want somebody who's powerful, but that is also knowledgeable and wise. You've met maybe leaders who are powerful who have no knowledge and wisdom. That's terrible, right? They use their power for themselves to lord it over or whatever it is they do, or you meet somebody who has a lot of knowledge and wisdom and is not effective at all. And that is, is deeply frustrating too because they maybe know what should be done, but they don't have the power to do it. But this one, this promised one, has the spirit of the Lord. He has wisdom, he has understanding, he has counsel and might. Counsel and might, the marriage of wisdom, knowledge, and power. That is an image of hope meaning that when we are frustrated by human leadership and know that there could be something better, that that hope is not in vain. But there's a deposit in us that hopes for someone who yields power and knowledge in a perfect marriage. And that image extends into the next verse. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness meaning the right standard, the exact right way that things should be, that's by which he will judge. Not what he sees, not what he hears, not what he thinks should be done, but what is right. And what is he gonna do with this power? He's gonna decide for the meek of the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There's another image of hope because this leader who has power and might his greatest weapon is his word. His sword is his word. His word is his sword. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Again, we're taken back into the promises of scripture. God's word as a weapon. God's word as a tool. And this, this promised one, he speaks his word and it's wielded like a weapon of righteousness. That's an image of hope. Then in verses six through nine, we have this crescendo. And in one sense, the verses one through five have happened in a certain sense because Christ has come. The incarnate one has come. The word has become flesh. He says in the gospel of Luke, this is fulfilled within your hearing, right? People are healed. The year of Jubilee has been declared. Christ has come. Part of this has been fulfilled. But we wait for this part. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. These images should be jarring. There's a reason we don't let children play with snakes, right? But Isaiah is saying, hey, there's gonna be this world where children can play with snakes all they want. They can lead around formerly ferocious beasts and it'll be just fine. Because Isaiah is giving us an image of hope of creation restored of perfect peace and shalom and restoration. 
The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. And this one, to me, is the funniest one. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And imagine a lion eating straw instead of delicious gazelle meat. How do you get that lion to eat? Something monumental has to happen. Something has to be completely knit together in a completely different way for a lion to eat straw like an ox. Because you know lions love gazelle meat. And we've all seen nature documentaries. Right? They love that gazelle meat. And I probably would too. Um, the nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra. And the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. This snake imagery is so important. takes us back to the garden. The enmity between humanity and the serpent. This cunning one, this wise one that deceives humanity. And it will become, there will become a day where this, that's not the reality anymore. And a child can play with a cobra. A child can play with an adder. They shall not destroy and they shall not hurt in my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How do the waters cover the sea? As N.T. Wright says, the waters are the sea. (laughs) It's the same thing. So the knowledge of God will permeate everything. The worship of God will permeate everything. And the final verse is the part that Paul quoted back in Romans 15 when we started this crazy journey together. Verse 10, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This promised one of the Jews is a gift to all nations. The part that Israel couldn't see and the part that we see because we look back on it is that the king of the Jews was meant to be the king of the world. This promised descendant of David, he will be the one of whom nations shall inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. That is an image of hope. The image of rest, the promise of rest, is our great hope, (laughs) right? That all are striving, that there's, at the end of the finish line of the marathon, we can stop running That's the promise of rest that the mother in labor at a certain point can stop pushing because the child is here. The thing hoped for is here. That's Jesus. That's the promise of hope. In him shall the nations inquire. They will find their hope, their peace in him. So, We need to be people of hope. We're called to be people of hope, but it's a very difficult thing to do. Sometimes we get so bottled down or hunkered down into our own experience and we forget the encouragement and words of others and we just get hopeless. I think the time that you feel the most hopeless is when you feel the most lonely and I think they're related, right? When you feel isolated, when you feel cut off, that's when you feel hopeless. Why? Because we need each other. And we need the scriptures to speak words of encouragement into us, to give us endurance, to keep going, keep going, keep going, so that the God of hope will fill us with joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And again, I want to to emphasize that this is a work of the Spirit in us. It's not just raw effort, it's the presence of the Spirit in us, working faith, hope, and love, those theological virtues. 
We are people who wait, so therefore we are people who hope. If you ever waited for anything that you really wanted, you were hoping, 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 hoping. Just think of a kid on Christmas Eve. (laughs) Can't even close their eyes. They're waiting, 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 because they're hoping that it's gonna be as good as they thought it was gonna be. So we are people who await, but I wanna close with this, this image, this idea that it's not just that we await, but that we are awaited. What I mean is we're the bride, but the bridegroom awaits us too. He wants to be with us. Lord Jesus Christ wants to be with his people. We are not just people who wait, but people who are awaited. When we get to the end of the finish line, there's someone there who wants us to be there, right? It's not just that we get there and like, hey, great job. No, you are my bride for whom I died, who I washed with the water of my word, and I am waiting for you. I am hoping, and there's a certain sense in which Christ hopes for his people. Not me, but maybe kind of a mind bender, but it's true. We are people who wait, but we are also a people who are awaited. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for words of hope and encouragement. We thank you for Stephen's story and all the stories in this room that his story represents. For all of us who are in the midst of uncertainty, we pray that you would encourage us, that you would help us endure. We pray, Lord, that we could be a people of encouragement that we could be the strong who bear up the weak, just as you did, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would remind us that our hope is not in vain because you await us just as we await you. And we pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.